man, I can never tell. Like, I do this all the time, and I still don't know when we start. Good morning, everybody. Excited to... Woo! All right, get it out of your systems now. Come on. I'm excited to share with you all this morning. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hayden Lillard. I'm one of the pastors here at One Chapel Lake Travis. And uh, my wife, Annalise, and I, we met actually in One Chapel College in 2013, um, which is pretty cool. I think we're the only ones who have come out of One Chapel College and uh, made a family out of it. So good job, One Chapel. You're doing doing some cool stuff. in 2017, we had our first um, baby. Her name is Aaliyah Joy, and she is the joy of our life. Um, her name actually means to ascend with praise. And boy, does she do that all the time. She keeps us on our toes. She keeps us going. And now at two and a half, we, we think she has us figured out already. So I'm not sure what, what 13 and 14 is going to look like, but um, I'm a little nervous. Keep praying for me. Um, in 2019, uh, we gave birth to our son, Amos Wilson Lillard. He lived um, a miraculous six months in the NICU um, in H- unit in Houston. And I'm going to share a little bit more about our journey with you today. I want to take you a little deeper into part of the story that, that most of you may not know. But it's really a place where we, we decided to lean in, where we found that God is enough. He is enough every day. Amen. So... I kind of want to talk to you this morning, and I'm going to be sharing some stories. So there's going to be times where I'm kind of, I'm trying to read this, because I'm trying to get what's here out here. And what's here kind of does this a lot. And so me and Lisa, we're, we kind of see, we, we talk the same way. We'll be talking, and we'll just be like, wait, where did I, where did I start? What was my, what was my first point? I can't, I can't really remember. So I might, it might be a time like, all right, I got to focus. I'm going to, I'm going to try to zero in here. Um, this series has been amazing. We, it's, it's called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Um, we all need more simplicity in our life, and we're all just normal. It doesn't matter if we're up here or we're down there. We're all normal people. We're all trying to figure this out together. And simplicity helps us connect, I believe, to God's heart a little bit more. Um, this has been one of my favorite series because I believe if we can grab a hold of what is coming out of these messages, um, it can completely um, not only transform um, our prayer life, but our perspective on how we see God and how he sees us. So we've kind of broken down the word prayer into an acronym, and this isn't just um, a cool idea, but I think there's some foundational understandings in this. So let's look at this. It says, um, pray is pause, rejoice, ask, yield. And I believe when we look deeper into these meanings as we have been in this series, we see it's kind of like this circular thing. We, we start with pause, which is this kind of like being still with the Lord. We begin to rejoice, begin to lift up and remind ourselves of who he is, what he does. We begin to ask for his will to come. For his will to be done. And then as we yield, I feel like it goes kind of back to the top. There's this pause again. So this morning, um, we're going to talk all about daily bread. So as we um, get going into this, we're going to look at A in the word pray, which is ask. And I begin to think about how we pray, which is often just ask, ask, ask. Is it not? And Jesus does tell us to ask. He says, be persistent in our prayers. As we look, let's look at Matthew 7, 7 through 8. It says, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. It says, for everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So Jesus does tell us to ask. He says, be persistent in what you do. He says, ask, ask, ask. There's not a lot of context to what to ask for here, though. He kind of just says, whatever you ask for, keep doing it. 
Well, I, I was struggling to find a little bit of correlation between ask and our daily bread. So first, let's look at the prayer. As we see, give us today our daily bread. At first, it, it seems a little redundant. Give us today our daily bread. But then you realize there's a deeper truth. As we look at there's a couple meanings. Um, one is timing, which is when. Two is amount, which is how much. Most of the people um, during this time when, they, when Jesus was teaching on this prayer, um, they were daily wage earners. They would take the money they earned that day and they'd go out and buy their food. They would literally buy their daily bread. We don't do this in America. We haven't done this since the Great Depression. And I believe um, we as people, we often pray for monthly bread instead of daily bread, right? We, we tend to feel like if our budget isn't just right, we don't know how we're going to make it. Oh my gosh, day 30 is going to be really rough because day one, it's looking like I might have spent a little too much on new clothes. Can I get an amen? We tend to live um, outside of the reality of God as our provider, and we look at um, our checkbook as our provider. We look at our jobs as our provider. We tend to see a different perspective of God. We tend to see him as meeting our emergent needs, not our daily needs. So I believe Jesus is trying to show us something um, deeper. He's trying to show us more than physical bread. He's trying to teach us how to depend on God, relying on him for our daily existence, allowing God to meet our physical and our spiritual needs, becoming a good steward of the physical by deepening our need for the spiritual. There's a balance that he's trying to get us to see. And I believe um, as we look at daily bread and where it originated from scripture, we see that God is um, trying to do the same. So let's go back to the beginning in Exodus 16. Um, I'm kind of comforted by this verse because if God didn't abandon the Israelites and all their grumbling and complaining for 40 years, then he surely won't abandon us, right? Let's look at Exodus 16. I'm going to read this story to you. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are going to eat, going out each day to gather enough food for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring, and this will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was from the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us, Moses said. And you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole community, they looked toward the desert And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, 
I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you will eat meat, and in the morning you will, fill, you will be filled with bread, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So he's trying to show them something. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, the thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? Which is literally what manna means. What is it? For they did not know it, what, what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. said, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, the holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, whatever is left, keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, and Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath day to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day. You know, why do we do this? It's like I just told you, it's like, you know, my little girl, I say, hey, don't touch that baby. It's hot. And I turn around like, what? I just told you not to touch it. I feel like that's how God sees us most of the time. Um, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day together, but they found none. They're probably like, oh, I don't get it. It's like, oh, well, he told you not to. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. He gives you more than enough for your day of rest. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna to keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to keep for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it may be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. 40 years. And they also were told to remember what he had done. I think remembrance is so important to our, our journey for what lies ahead. Here we see God teaching them how to rely on him for their physical needs. But what he was really trying to show them is that it's not all about the physical. There was more he was trying to convince them. He was trying to convince them of his love through faithful provision as they wandered for 40 years. 40. Not 40 days. Not 40 weeks. 40 years. Most of us get to 40 days and think, if my check doesn't come in, I'm not going to make it. They wandered for 40 years. And he was loving and patient and faithful. He provided every single day, even when they grumbled, day after day. He always gave them exactly what they needed and when they needed. They had to learn to be obedient, to rely on him. He was trying to teach them something. He was teaching them, I believe the Lord showed me that, um, in the desert, it was crucial for what they needed for their faith in the promised land. What he was teaching them in the desert was crucial for what they needed faith for in the promised land. It's not our arrival in the promised land that ensures we will see God's glory, but it's our faith in the midst of giants and challenges that allow us to see his victory in our times of testing, and then we see his glory come. 
We know that as the Israelites approached the promised land, they made it through the 40 years of wandering, and, and they thought, all right, now it's time to just step into all that we have. But they actually had to contend. The faith that they had to remember for God's reliance, for his faithfulness, for his provision, was to actually be the very faith that allowed them to overcome armies, giants, new land, new territory, things that they actually needed God more than ever on. You know, most of us aren't even willing to step foot into the desert. I know I I feel this way. We're still complaining about how good we had it when we were in captivity and our tables had food on them, just like the Israelites did. I remember there's many moments where I'm like, Lord, I just want, want more of you. I want more of your provision, Lord. I want more of your love. I want more of your faithfulness. And then I wake up the next day, and I I do the same thing. I'll wake up. I'll get my coffee. I'll go to work. I'll come home. I'll be with my family. And I go to bed, and I'll be like, Lord, why didn't I get more of you? He's like, you didn't spend any time with me. There is this thing he's trying to show us as we rely on him for his provision that he wants us to be fully reliant on what he has to offer, not what we can give, not on our own strength. So let's look at the word ask. Ask means to request someone to do or give something. My family had a big ask to start a journey that had many unknowns, um, where timing and amount um, were very much um, important to the outcome of our next steps. Uh, Back in March of last year, my family and I began to make plans for our, our move to Houston and the birth of our son. We felt our lives were already kind of turned upside down at the news of his diagnosis, and and we had no idea what awaited us in the coming months. We knew we had to live in a land that was full of of spiritual giants and some physical giants as well. Uh, We had to say yes to things that that gave our son the best chance at life and also forced us to step out into the unknown where provision very much was in question of, will we have enough for the next day, let alone the next month? We started to say yes with less than $1,000 in our bank account. And by the time we left, just a few weeks later, we had over $25,000 in our savings. God provided. Many of you made that possible for us, and we thank you. We began to increase in our faith where we saw God provide in the physical for the needs, and he provided every step of the way. We got to see the miraculous in his provision on the timing, the when, and on the amount, how much. We didn't know what we would need for the days ahead, and we didn't know the depth of what our spirit would need to rise in our time of greatest need. Seeing his provision did increase our faith. And the giants that were ahead of us, we knew um, we were going to face. It was a new land, a diagnosis, an unknown outcome. All of these things God was going before us. He knew the importance of our perspective. And so even before we asked, he began to provide. It was huge. It began to fuel us with something that was even greater than what we were asking for. It was his glory. We began to see God manifest in ways that we were like, like, Lord, I just, I just want to see that. I just want to see you do that. We began to discover our daily dependence on God. There was something that shifted my perspective before we even received Amos's diagnosis. I was listening to a sermon on prayer uh, by a pastor named Bill Johnson, and his revelation um, really struck me that day. 
Um, and it fuels much of how I believe God wants to work um, in our lives and in our prayers. He said this. He said, what if instead of seeking answers for prayer, we sought for God to be glorified in any given situation? It doesn't mean we cry less for the answers, but we are fueled and energized by the reason for the answer that God would be glorified. That God would be glorified. This began to wreck me. I was praying for a lot of things. I was asking for a lot of things. And, and it's, it's rightly so. It was my son. It was my family. It was provision for my home. It was stepping out in the unknown. But I realized even then, my prayers were inward. I wasn't looking to what he wants to do. I was looking for what I wanted, for what I needed. He began to shift my perspective as I said, God, I, I know that your will is good. I know that you are faithful. So help me to be fueled by your glory through these prayers. That I, that I can surrender the outcome to what's ahead. To believe that, that actually it's your glory that I want to see. That no matter what happens in the days ahead, Lord, I have to see your glory. I have to see your glory. You see, I believe our ask has finite importance, but our perspective is of infinite importance. I believe there is something small in our moments of asking that, that God sees and he, and he cares deeply for. But it's actually how we see him when we're asking as eternity in its perspective. It's about how people see us as his children to the world around us. His glory here on the earth. That the world may know that he sent us Christ, the hope of glory. I don't believe Jesus is asking any questions in his prayer, actually. Yet I believe he's acknowledging that all comes from God. And then living by faith that this is our reality. I felt like God began to show me that it's not often what we ask for, but it's our view of him when we ask. We can take note of what Jesus was doing um, the evening before he was taken to be crucified to see that this is true. In Matthew 26, when he walked a short distance away and overcome with grief, he threw himself face down on the ground and prayed. He said, my father, if there is anything that you, any way that you can deliver me from this suffering, please take it from me. Yet what I want is not important, for I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. Then an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him. In many of those days leading up as I was praying, this scripture began to strike me in a new way where, where, I, where I realized, like, Lord, I, I don't even want to step into this. I don't even know that I have the strength, but, but not my will be done, but yours. Jesus was overcome with grief at the suffering that lay before him, but he was fueled by one desire. God's will be done. His glory here on the earth. We wouldn't be here today if he wasn't. Amen. We wouldn't be here today if Jesus hadn't said, God, it's not what I am asking for. But what can you do with my life? What can you do with our life, Lord? This reminder hit me again later on in our journey. Amos not only survived a natural birth, coming out with minimal oxygen needs for the first six days. He successfully made it through eight surgeries, including life support and repairs um, to his insides um, to put everything back where they belong. Um, these were huge steps in his life. These were no small miracles for Amos. He was a miracle baby. These were no calculated. These were um, things that the doctor said, just so you know, um, he probably won't make it through this. And time and time again, he continued to prove him wrong. 
The stories um, were truly endless in his life um, and in the impact that, that our journey and his life had on everyone who was involved in the process. The next step seemed obvious for my wife and I. Um, I was to pray for him to come home, right? I was to pray for his journey, like here in Austin, home. But the outcome became more unknown, and I learned to surrender in a whole new light. And when I thought I had leaned in with everything I had left, the weeks and months went on as the outcome seemed further and further away. I continued to come to the end of myself and lean on God. Next to my wife, who is equally as bold with her faith and equally surrendered to God's will here on the earth, we contended for his life. And yet we kept finding ourselves at this crossroads where life really didn't make sense anymore. And believing God for something even bigger um, seemed to be what was at hand. We begin to believe that, that he is big enough that even if he doesn't come home here, that his home is settled in eternity. We begin to surrender Amos to his eternal home, believing that in death and in life, my confidence remains in Christ, the hope of glory. We had gone to be in Houston for what um, then we didn't know would be his last two weeks. You know, and in that time, one of the largest tropical storms decided it was going to hit Houston. Perfect timing, right? We're going to go spend some time, and here comes this storm. We see this in the physical and in the spiritual, but I never imagined that this narrative would play out in this timing of my life. As we faced what we didn't know would be his final days, we had a meeting with the doctors that night. We had to come back to be with our daughter, Aaliyah. We were torn between two cities to two worlds. And this condition took its last turn for the worst. When the storm broke, we made our run back to Houston, and we faced what we didn't know would be his final days. We, we met with the doctors, and we learned that his body was, was failing and our days were numbered. The next morning when we arrived, we could see him for where he really was, and we knew his time was near. We experienced something we never thought possible in that moment, though. We saw a glimpse of God's glory. The thing that we were praying for. The thing that we saw many times. As we approached his bed knowing he didn't have much time. Um, we heard a nurse we didn't know very well and hadn't interacted with very much humming. My wife leaned over and said, she's humming Waymaker. I was like, are you sure? It's like, yeah. I was floored. An ICU unit in Houston and she was humming Waymaker. We asked her what she was singing, and as she told us, tears filled our eyes as we began to share of its significance, that God is reminding us that he is here with us. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, God, you're working. He was reminding us that even in letting go, he is enough. And that this isn't our home. This is only the first of many miracles that we saw from from that day and the days that were to follow. And in it, we began to find peace. Peace knowing death was not his end. Peace knowing Jesus is who he says he is. And peace to be with him when he took his last breath. Jesus was our hourly bread and continues to be. The grief was real. The fear was real. The pain was real. But so 
was the peace of his presence. It was the only thing more real than the pain and the fear and the grief of those days. When night came, his heart rate slowed and his time had come. As he drew his last breath, the room seemed silent, yet it was full of people. The nurses and specialists who were closest to Amos were there. Russ and Cynthia were there. It felt silent. Yet in the final moment, my wife heard a noise as loud as someone standing right next to her and a gasp that felt like it could have been from everyone in the room all at once. She was holding Amos, but the room was silent. She listened as heaven drew in. Amos was going home. Heaven was near as we began to surrender his life from here to the next. A sound that could barely be described, only experienced. We celebrated and mourned as this journey here came to an end and his eternity began. It's hard to describe the joy in the midst of, of pain and loss, but, but our eternity is secure. Then my wife began to muster a song. She sang the old, old hymn, It Is Well, in his last breath. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Her words creeped out as she settled her resolve that Jesus is enough and Amos was indeed home. She sang the first line with all the strength that she had in her. And when it ran out, Cynthia finished it from there with all of us in the room. We experienced the most holy of peace and a nearness of God's presence like never before. I'm still undone by these moments. I'm still undone. And no matter what, the response to worship is always the greatest sacrifice we can offer at any moment. Our son in his journey was our lot and one of the greatest gifts we could have been given. His life was full, as full as Amos could have lived it here on the earth. His days are marked by God's goodness and provision, our daily bread. Our hope secure now more than ever, a perspective believing that God will give us this day our daily bread. You are enough and I will choose to trust in you. We saw his glory that night and the days that followed. The miracles didn't stop there. And I wish I could share with you all the stories from what we experienced in our time. Over the past few months, I want to share a little bit about my journey. As it would seem as the hard parts were over and the hardest indeed were. But we had to come home. An unexpected outcome. We had to start over and we had to teach our little girl how to do the same. We still need our daily bread and Jesus is still enough. I had grown weary, and it took me really the rest of that year to begin to recover spiritually and emotionally, um, as anyone would expect. My wife and I are still on that journey, but we, we are forever changed. We know where our hope comes from, and of all the why we will ever need to believe that his glory is meant for here and now on this earth. The Amos isn't his eternity, but, but there is something that, that I think we're missing. There is something I think we're missing with our asks, with our need for our monthly or bi-weekly bread. Can I tell you that I often ask for things for the days ahead and the days before that I didn't get answers for? Some that I'm still discovering today as I, as I look back and I, even when I wrote this and I begin to, to, to just kind of break down in the moments where I remembered God's faithfulness for each day when it didn't seem like I was going to have enough for the month ahead. I looked too far into the future. I began to look too far. But what I did every day was ask when it wasn't enough, when I wasn't enough, Jesus, would you come? And I felt the Spirit strengthen me 
This hope of glory is what fueled every visit to the hospital, every interaction with any nurse or doctor, every trip home to lead worship, every surgery, every hour where his life seemed to be on the edge. We found our strength in our bread. Jesus. 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 It's why I can still sing. It's why I have no desire to live for anything else other than his glory here and now. Being filled with the Spirit, I believe, is a huge part of our daily bread. And I believe we are missing it. I'm missing it. When I begin to come back and I begin to wander a little bit in my own desert again, Amos was home in eternity, and I was lost as a goose. I knew who he was. I remembered God's faithfulness. But I began to just walk each day as if it were happening to me instead of walking that same provision that God gave us day after day, time after time. He was enough. How had I forgotten? And yet there I found myself wondering where I was going. I was wandering in the wilderness again. And yet he was giving me my manna. Like, here you go. Even when I didn't ask for it. Even when I grumbled. What am I doing? What's next, Lord? I've gone through this. What now? I think it's time that we stop asking, what's next? There is purpose to what we do here. And most of us are asking for our weekly and monthly bread with church on Sunday. And it's just, it's not about it. It's not about church. Church is about you. It's about me. It's about the body. And if we gather and expect that we're going to get our fill for the week when the national average is actually every six weeks, then most of us are asking for our six-week bread. And by that time, it's full of maggots, and it's kind of um, eroded, like, or corroded like the Bible was telling us. So my challenge today is not that you come to church every Sunday. That is obvious. I would love for us together every Sunday. But is that every day we learn to rely on his glory, being filled with the Spirit. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, Ephesians 5, 17 through 21. It says, Therefore, not, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is power in what Paul is trying to tell us here. He's trying to teach us that it is actually about being filled with the Spirit. And one of the ways you get filled with the Spirit is there is this engagement with not only one another, but with Him that we lack when we just come to church to be served. You're not getting filled up by just coming and sitting here. And so if you wonder why we continue to walk away the same, it's because it's actually about us doing this together. When we're up here, it's not about props on the stage. Worship isn't about filling a time slot. Rest of sermon isn't about you getting your nugget to rely on the week ahead. But that we could actually stir up one another with the words that we're hearing, with the songs that we're seeing. These songs were written by theologians of our faith in our times today. That we can actually engage with the, the king, the creator, that we might see his glory come. So what's fueling your ask? Is it to be able to provide for your family? Is it a diagnosis that seems overwhelming? Is it to save a relationship that's broken? A stressful job? Kids that seem to have gone astray. Can I just say that even if all these things were to be answered, that none of it matters if our life does not reflect his glory. 
His glory comes when we choose to make Him greater than any of the things that we're asking for. God, not my will, but yours be done. Because yes, He can do all this, and He wants to do this, simply because He loves you. He wants to do these things in your life. He sees you right where you're at right now. This isn't a message to make you feel bad about where you're at. But to say that I am challenging myself as I've wondered for the past few months to contend for his glory here and now. And so, yes, I'm going to challenge us week after week, Sunday after Sunday. And if you're here every six weeks, I'm going to challenge you every six weeker to come and to enter into his presence. Because it's, we have to make the most in the times that we're living in. And if the only time we get together to worship together, to invite heaven into our midst, to encourage one another is once a week, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it all down for that week because I'm not promised the next day, let alone the next Sunday. So what I pray you find here as you leave today is a new perspective, an eternal perspective. Whatever season you're in, whatever process you find yourself going through, we are all in a process. That I invite you to invite God to show you what he's doing. Don't just look around for the promised land. Have faith to count what you're walking through in the desert right now as part of his plan to transform you into the image of Christ. And to know that what you are learning in the desert is what you will need as your provision in the promised land. He has more in store for you, I promise you. That's why I believe Jesus is trying to do all along. When he says, give us today our daily bread, we aren't really asking for anything, okay? We are standing in faith, believing that God, you are enough. And that daily I have to say, you're going to give me everything I need for this day, for whatever I may face. I'm not going to let it dictate my ask, but I'm going to acknowledge that you are here. He's our provision, our portion, our prosperity, even in the desert, and our peace, even in the storm. So I encourage you, keep your ask fueled with his glory. Keep your eyes on him, church. Would you bow here with me? Close your eyes as we pray. You can go ahead and stand. So let's take time to practice this for just a moment as we close our eyes. To receive bread is often not asking for something, but knowing that it's ready to be placed in our hands. So if you would, would you just stretch out your hands right in front of you? God, we want to receive all that you have for us today. But we know we can't do that with our hands closed, with our hearts closed, with our mouths closed. Jesus, help us to be a people that are ready to receive. You as our daily bread. Help us to be a people that believe that you are enough. Help us to be a people that quit waiting for someone to show us the way and to start entering into the way that is Jesus. We have every reason in the world in the Bible to enter into worship. We have every reason in Scripture alone. There is nothing in Scripture that says anything that's contrary to this wholehearted expression of worship. I believe that is where we begin to fill ourselves with His Spirit. We begin to shut off the places in our mind that say, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. 
and we begin to open our hands to the one who is ready to give. Let us be a people who are ready to receive each day, not just the week ahead, not the month ahead. I believe God has something for you this morning. So would you ask that he shifts your perspective as we enter into worship for the next 15, 20 minutes? I just want you to to take time in whatever way you can. The altar's open. I believe that there is no separation between what we do here, and I'm going to continue to break those lines down as we enter into this year. But, But if you come, he says, come who are thirsty, you will never thirst again. Come who are hungry, you will never be hungry again. So Jesus, we acknowledge you are enough. We make room for you in our hearts. We enter into your presence, Lord. Remind us of where you've been in the past. But not to look too far into the future that we lose sight of what you're doing right now. Come on, let's worship.